From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. It was it was four years ago we talked last, Malia, right? I think that's right. Yep. Are you at the school now? I am, yes. I just literally passed out caps and gowns to my seniors. Well, how about that? Congratulations. Malia Burns is the director of the Summit Sierra School in Seattle's International District. And uh, at that time, I came to visit you at the school. We got the, uh, we got the tour. Uh, but for people who are not familiar with it, uh, let's talk about the concept here. And just to make it clear, um, I was a supporter of the original initiative to at least allow charter schools going way back. But it's been controversial because there's this perception that these are elite schools, that you attract uh, a special kind of family because you require parental involvement. So do you require parental involvement as a condition of admission? That's actually not correct. Um, As a traditional public school, we will allow any family into our school and we actually have no admission requirements whatsoever. Really? Um, as a, as a public school, it is impossible to require anything of families. Um, we have done a lot to try and make our school welcoming and accessible for all parents. Our faculty members went on home visits when they were first getting to know our communities. They spent a lot of time proactively making phone calls and reaching out to build those connections and the relationship. Well, I asked the question because I I think one of the, one of the critiques of charter schools is that is a, it's a, a self-selected population. In other words, you, because of the, uh, you told me it's not a requirement, but because of anyway, the perception that parents are required to sign this contract, you would be, essentially selecting those families that already have strong parental involvement. But you tell me that, in fact, it's the teachers who are responsible for going out and establishing that connection? That's exactly right. Uh, We don't assume that families are going to do that. In fact, a lot of parents have had maybe not great experiences of engagement in the past. And so I think that it's really been, the onus has been on us to reach out and form those relationships with families. And I will say people give in different ways. And so some parents are able to contribute by, you know, when we call consistently reinforcing the things that are happening at school with their own children, maybe they don't have time to come in because of their work schedules or things that they have on their plates. Other families are able to give in different ways where they are able to come and volunteer. So I would say that the type of partnership really varies, but the support that we've gotten from parents has been really tremendous. And when it comes to helping students who were not being helped by the traditional schools, and I recall recall that one of the parents I talked to at the time said that uh, her child was being ridiculed, the language was just uh, offensive, and the child wasn't learning. For, For the kids who are the cause of some of that trouble, do you take those kids as well, or again, do you tend to attract the students who are already well-adjusted to a school environment? Well, just like any traditional public school, we have such a diverse student population. And so while we have students who have traditionally been successful in school and have kind of figured out how to navigate through school and have really strong habits, we also have many students who did not come in with the skills to navigate school, who don't have strong habits, who struggle with emotion regulation, Um, And in some cases, we have school counselors who are calling us and saying, you know, Malia or, you know, somebody else at Summit, we really think that you're going to be able to provide our students with a strong safety net and the support to be able to become college ready, but they're not there right now. And so one really nice thing about our student population is we've been able to attract all different types of students from all different backgrounds, all different types of learners 
So we really do have a, a diverse cross-section of student community. So did you have behavior problems and were you able to deal with them or did anybody have to be expelled over the past four years? Um, we serve teenagers, so um, certainly the, that some of our students struggle with emotion regulation. Uh, we try to be really responsive to our student community. And because each child has a mentor who travels with them for four years, they know them really, really well. And so they're able to catch a lot of things that I think in a traditional public school might potentially escalate. We also have peer mediation structures to be able to resolve conflict before you know, it gets to the place where potentially students are um, solving that conflict in a physical way or attempting to solve it um, and rather failing to solve it. Um, and so certainly uh, over the years, we have had physical altercations. It just happens very infrequently. Um, and I think over the past few years, um, we've had, uh, I'm trying to remember, we've had a couple of expulsions, but it's, uh, I think it's been certainly less than um, what are happening at traditional public schools because of the safety nets that we've been able to form. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there have been explosions, but you described them as uh, a handful. Correct. Okay. What was, what's your college acceptance rate for the first class? Yeah. So 98% of our graduating seniors have been accepted into at least one four year college or university Mm -hmm. that our big goal is a hundred percent. So we still have two more folks who we're working with Uh um, who are still um, in the process, but we're so, so proud of the accomplishments of our class. It's just been amazing to see their success. And I still have to calculate this, but um, in our region between our school here in Seattle and our sister school in Tacoma, our students have received over $3 million in grants and scholarships. So it's really exciting. Sounds pretty good. So what's the size of the graduating class? We have 93 students who are graduating here at Sierra. All right. Did you have any dropouts along the way? Uh, we had students who transitioned to other high schools. Um, we had students uh, back when you and I were talking, I think that was potentially right after the, the initial decision from the Supreme Court that charter schools were no longer going to be legal in our state. And so understandably, families were really concerned about the sustainability of our schools. And so some families made the decision at that point to transfer to schools that were not uh, in a precarious situation, although we were really grateful that the vast majority of our families did stay with us. And then there have been other students along the way who have transitioned to other schools because potentially, you know, they didn't realize what it would be like to go to a school with just 400 students, and they really wanted that big Friday Night Lights high school experience. And so, (laughs) you know, they transitioned. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is, because I want want this to be a fair comparison, what's what's the dropout rate as we we would understand it? Kids who just either uh, couldn't hack it or for uh, other reasons had to drop out before graduation. Yeah, I will say of this senior class, there are three students right now um, in the class who are not graduating with the cohort of students who they were predicted to graduate with. Um, and we think that uh, two of those students may go on to earn their GED, and then the other student will um, have another year here with us. Okay. So based on your um, experience with these uh, with these charter schools, is there something then that you think you have to offer to public schools who might, you know, hear these statistics and say there's just – there's no way she's telling Dave the truth? Uh, you know, oh, are, are, are there are there tactics, are there strategies that you think could be used to help other schools that are struggling more than you seem to be with things like dropout rates and college acceptance rates? Yeah, um, I uh, 
I will share some of the tactics that I think make our um, program what it is. And, and I would say that they're not necessarily, a couple of them might be unique to our design, but several of them aren't. And they're being implemented in schools across the country, both traditional public schools and also in charter schools. Two of those really strong structures, I think, one is a mentoring program. And I know that there are some schools that are looking, in even in Seattle, at adding mentoring programs. But that has been so incredible for our students, just every child having a mentor for four years and that mentor community, that person who knows them extremely well and ensures that they're progressing academically. It is a role that requires professional development for teachers and time in the schedule. And so that's a little bit tricky for some districts, but it really is powerful when you're able to do it. So that's one thing. I think the second part that is happening at several schools throughout the country is a really strong program around college. And I know that at many traditional public high schools, there are programs like AVID or programs that potentially some students have access to. And I think that, you know, wouldn't it be great if all schools just ran those programs for all students? And you see really strong, you know, uh, strong results from programs like that, where you're having every single student receive a lot of touch points along the college graduation process and a single person ensuring that the student is applying to six colleges of which there is a variety of match, reach and safety schools that they are all taking the SAT in their junior year and that have, they've taken it multiple times. You know, these research backed activities that lead to higher um, acceptance rates and also higher college graduation rates. And then somebody to walk them through the application process because it is pretty complex and not all of our students have strong executive functioning skills, you know, even when they're 18. And so it's really important that they have somebody to go through all of that who's here on campus to make sure that their transcripts go out on time to ensure that there's somebody writing letters of recommendation and can support that organization. And so we as a school have done that work together in collaboration. And again, we offer our teachers professional development. So they're able to support our students in that. When I visited, there were no textbooks. Everybody had a computer mm -hmm. at the desk. Did you mm -hmm. stick with that model? We did. And I think that is part of what makes us unique. Um, our philosophy is really that, you know, the, the laptop is a tool. The curriculum is all written by our teachers. So we're not buying programs to instruct our students. But really the fastest way to get students the most current information is going to be on a laptop. Um, it's much cheaper, in fact, than replacing textbooks year after year um, in order to keep up to date information. The other thing is that through um, technology, we use different tools to allow for students to get feedback from their teachers in real time for them to be able to see their progress and then to comment on each other's Word documents to be able to do projects that are more integrated. And it's really supported our philosophy of helping our students become self-directed learners because everything is really transparent to them so that they know that if they're um, working to get into a very selective college and they know I need a 3.8 or above, they are really clear at our school about what it's going to take in all of their courses in order to get there. And they see that in a really comprehensive way because we have a rubric that's used throughout all of our classes that's really focused on cognitive skill development. And so, yes, to answer your question, yes, on the laptops. And it's really helped our kids um, not only become tech savvy, but learn how to self-direct their own learning. And you mentioned uh, that it's cheaper to use the computer. So, so what is your cost per student there compared to what it would be at a public school? 
we since we are a public school, we receive most of the same funding that traditional public schools do. However, we are currently underfunded because we don't get the levy dollars that traditional public schools do, mm -hmm. which is a problem in Washington state. And so we've been advocating to get those levy dollars, but currently we're um, in the in the next cycle will be, I think about $2,500, we'll be receiving about $2,500 less funding than other traditional public schools in uh, Seattle. Yeah, I should point out, charter school is a public school, um, so you get public funding, but apparently not as much. So that, that I don't get it. Then how do you, <laughs> how do you stay in the black? Uh, uh, we try to be as lean as possible uh, with our um, kind of activities that we offer and with our facilities, and we try to be really thoughtful with yeah, how we spend money. Mm -hmm. But we also ha have had to fundraise in order to fill uh -huh. the gap to offset the levy funds that we're not getting. Unfortunately, that's not sustainable. And our goal is that as a school, we are able to be sustainable off the public dollar. So we need uh, laws to change so that we're able to have access to those levy dollars. So in other words, you, you got to that 97%, 98% college acceptance rate by getting $2,500 less per student? Yes, offset with offset with some fundraising dollars. Um, uh -huh. So, yeah, I, I do think that right now it would be fair to say that we're um, spending about the same amount as a traditional public school, mm -hmm. um, but some of those had to be fundraised. I see. Okay, so one more thing. Unions. You're not unionized, correct? We are not. Is Does that play a role? Well, what role does that play in your ability to provide, to, to get these results? Well, I will just speak to um, some of the flexibility that we have. Uh, charter schools have the flexibility to be really responsive to student needs. And one of the things that I really value as a school leader is the ability to form really collaborative relationships with my faculty members. So as an example, I'm able to go into their classrooms on a weekly or even daily basis to give them feedback and support. I know that sometimes in unionized environments, they're uh, the relationship is really formalized to the point where, you know, you're emailing the teacher and scheduling when this observation is happening. Um, the real goal here is that we're able to work together to be responsive to kids and that there's not bureaucracy that's in place that would potentially prevent us from being responsive to their needs. That flexibility um, to be responsive has had a huge role in how we do school here. How does the staff feel about that? Did you, you you said your turnover was pretty low, right? Yeah, between our first and second year, we had 100% of faculty return. Between our second and our third year, I think there were two faculty that transitioned. Um, no faculty transitions between our third and our fourth year. This year, um, some folks who've been here for four years are transitioning to other roles, and we have a few other people um, who've come in over the years who are transitioning. But generally, our staff turnover on the whole has been very low. Transitioning means they leave, right? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. I just want to be clear about that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so there, there, there has been some staff turnover then. Is mm -hmm. the, is the reason, and what's the reason for that? Because it sounds like, for example, the, the amount of outreach required to parents, that's, that sounds like more than an eight hour day to me. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'd say that 
you know, there are teachers who are working well beyond a 40 hour week in, you know, schools across the country, every type of school. Uh, generally, folks are working really hard, but absolutely, uh, our teachers are working really hard here and we ask uh, different things for them than would be required at a traditional public school. We try to be really upfront with people um, as they come in about what the requirements are. We're still improving um, about really clarifying all of that. Um, but I think that in general, people really um, cite the, the opportunity to have input in the way that our school runs in the design of it um, has been a, a hallmark of why we've been able to attract great folks. I think the other thing is that they feel like they're playing on an all-star team with other really positive, um, engaged faculty members. So I think that's that's another thing that keeps people here. And then when people transition, um, actually, the majority of people who have left our school have left because they've decided that um, they would like to do a different job other than teaching. I think we've had two people leave and teach at other districts. Are you getting a, uh, a healthy number of applications of people who want to work there, or uh, is it considered to be a, a hardship post because of the level of commitment that's involved? <laughs> Uh, we, we actually do get a fair number of applicants for each of our positions. Um, I think that people uh, are seeking jobs like ours and, and the opportunity to get results like this feels really good. We, we get people who are really committed to the mission and people who are, are willing to, to work really hard to do that. And what about your student applications for uh, the next uh, semester? Uh, we have, um, for our ninth grade class next year, we are projected to be have a fully enrolled ninth grade class and projected to have uh, wait lists in our 10th and 11th grade classes. So it sounds like there's uh, there's demand there, huh? Yeah, um, there is demand. And we also have a West Seattle school. They, there's a middle and a high school there. So we've actually opened another school here in Seattle area in order to respond to the demand of families. So in, in terms of um, how far this movement should go, I think there's a, what's the limit on the number of new schools per year? Do you know? Uh, the cap is 40 charter schools. So we'll see um, how we grow towards that. Um, I know that there are four charter schools that have, that were just approved within the last week mm-hmm. by the Washington state um, charter school commission. So the cap is 40 charter schools total forever. Is that per year or what is it? Um, that is, I think the year is 2020. Um, and uh, then there's an opportunity to potentially lift that cap. Um, but that would have to happen through the um, through legislation. I see. So do you think that um, as the word gets out about these schools, that there there will be a demand for for more of them? I think so. I think especially as families are seeing the results from, you know, graduations, the opportunities for students to go to four-year colleges as they continue to see strong SBAC results and academic results, I think that the demand will rise. I know as a parent, uh, those are questions that I would certainly have were I, you know, trying to decide where my students should go to school. And so I think that as we are able to share our results with the community, logically, parents will be more interested. I think that one of our challenges has just been getting the word out. Have you gotten criticism of from, uh, I don't know, public school teachers or or uh, proponents of public schools that, that what you're doing is um, unfair in some way? Uh, it's interesting. I, I don't get a lot of, 
opposition uh, personally. I, I do know that there is opposition. I, I think that the, generally what I've heard is, is the concern about um, dollars that are no longer um, with traditional public schools. I just actually heard one of my students uh, responding to a reporter when she was asked about that. And she said, you know, the dollars deserve to stay with me. And if I'm here and I think this is the best option for my education, that's where the money should be. And I thought that that was uh, really powerful and certainly what I believe as well. Um, but it, I understand that it that it is complicated. Yeah. I haven't asked about uh, racial makeup, but I guess I should because that's a question everybody wants to know. So uh, I know the original image of charter schools was it was a, a bastion of white privilege. So what is your racial makeup? <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, we are an incredibly diverse school. We meet the definition of true diversity where there's no one racial or ethnic group that is more than 40%. Um, our, I believe that our students of color right now are just shy of 30%. And so just over 70% of our students are children of color, um, from every single background you can imagine. Um, 20% of our students are African-American, about 20% of our students are East African, mostly from Somalia, although um, we also have students from Ethiopia and Eritrea. We have students um, from all parts of Asia and Pacific Islands. We have students who are from different uh, Latinx countries. Um, we have students who are of native, native descent, many mixed race students. So it really is a truly diverse student body. Yeah. So what about you, Malia? You came back here after working in Chicago for a while. This was your mm -hmm. dream. I mean, you're here out of idealism. Uh, are you burned out? <laughs> are oh, you going to stick with it or what are you going to do? Yeah, um, I'm not burned out at all. Um, it's been a really challenging four years, but it has been so rewarding. And the experiences that I've had have been incredible. Um, it's actually been quite emotional. I've been writing my graduation speech over the last week, and I've been looking at all the emails and all the photos of the last four years. Um, no, I'm, I remain even more committed to the work. Um, I'm, I am switching roles next year. I'm going to be in a role where I'm supporting all uh, four of the summit schools. And so I will be leading professional development and managing the principals. Ah. So maybe maybe I've even more doubled down on on my commitment to charter schools in our region, and I'm I'm really excited for it. So no, I'm I'm not I'm not leaving. It's certainly been hard. I probably have a few more gray hairs and wrinkles, but they've all been <laughs> worth it. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds like you ought to just be uh, exhausted and ready to collapse at this point. Well, you'll see me up on stage. Hopefully, I'll I'll make it through. But um, yeah, it's been a really it's been a really sweet sweet moment too. Um, we've been working really hard for this and it's incredible to see the kids uh, live out some of their dreams. So I'm excited to have you on Tuesday. Okay. Malia Burns, the director of the Summit Sierra Charter School in Seattle's Chinatown International District. Graduation on Tuesday. Malia, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Take care. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News? You can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in. 